morning. I just wonder if you could uh, open your Bibles to the Psalms. Uh, We're going to be looking specifically at Psalm 105. We're going to look at verse 16 onwards. Okay, I just want to read Psalm 105. I'm going to read from um, verse 16 through to 19. This is all in a psalm that is the psalmist talking about uh, God's wonderful works. And it says, when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. Until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. I just want to uh, focus this morning on that, that last verse there. Until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. I remember, that's just so amazing, we've got a, a School of Supernatural video this morning. I remember the day that I was dragged kicking and screaming by my wife to the evening School of Supernatural. A um, long time ago when it was held over in Swamley. Um, it was, I think, something like 2010 or 11. It's a long time ago now. And uh, the truth was, I did not want to be there. Uh, I was burnt out. Um, after 15 years in uh, pastoral ministry, I felt my gift had been sucked dry. Um, I had just become this kind of preaching machine that was wheeled out week after week. Have you ever seen Little Shop of Horrors? You know, Audrey, the big plant? Feed me, Seymour. And that's what I felt the pressure all the time. Just give us more food, give us more food, give us more food. And I was really done. Um, I'd been damaged by years of trying to pursue the kingdom of God in a toxic context. And that context was performance and control. And I was part of a divided and disintegrating eldership team. Um, none of that stuff looks good on your resume, by the way. Um, and here I was at the door clutching a check for 75 quid or whatever it was then, thinking another training program will not solve my problems. And I want to say I'm eternally thankful for the conference where Pete Carter stood up and said, hey, people, you need to come to our evening school. Because whatever happened in that moment in the spirit and my wife caught it. I didn't. I was sulking and bad-tempered, belligerent. Um, I know you find that hard to believe, um, but it's true. And, um, And that first night I went, I went in kicking and screaming And I came out skipping with joy in my heart. And the reason that was, was because that evening I found my true north. Okay. Um, I've said to a few people who know me really well that that moment, that particular evening, was as significant for me as the day I got born again. I don't know if you've ever had those after being born again significant moments. But for me, that was the evening that really... Everything changed. Um, And it wasn't that I'd signed up to a series of good meetings where we were going to get whacked by the Holy Ghost, although that was quite pleasant. Um, But rather it was about I stepped through a door into a culture and a context 
where the whole landscape changed forever as far as I was concerned. Um, the truth is the old paradigm that I knew of Christianity was completely smashed to pieces that evening. And something much sweeter replaced it. Now, here we are today. The church, Eastgate, wonderful people. And, and I just want to say, this is truly a special thing we have going here. I don't know if you realize that, but it is a truly special thing. And here's why. It's because we are part of an amazing royal family. We have this incredible royal identity. I don't know if you know that. The moment you stepped into this love affair with Jesus, you you took on a new identity. John says in chapter 1, that those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, the right to be called sons of God. You have a royal identity. Not only that, you have a royal mandate. Jesus said, you know, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, drive out demons, make disciples of, some people know, all nations rule and reign. Exercise the government of kingdom, uh, of the kingdom on his behalf. So we have a royal identity, we have a royal mandate, but the amazing thing is it's what comes with that. It's the royal resources. That the moment we step into that, that love affair with Jesus, we actually get all the resources of heaven. We get his presence. We get his power. And we get his principles. And so the reality is this. I stepped out of this kind of toxic world where really I felt like a faceless little cog in a very big religious machine where there was a tiny platform and everybody was fighting for a foothold on it. And suddenly realized that I was part of this amazing royal family that is his primary instrument for establishing, manifesting and expressing the rule of the king and his kingdom on planet Earth. Whoa. And I want to say that's not just for me. That's for all of us here. And if that's true, that means that we are significant people. I don't know what kind of junk messages you get sent at you through your lifetime, but I've had enough to tell me that I'm a nobody and I should crawl in a hole and just forget about it. But I want to say to you all this morning, you are incredibly significant people. Not only that, you are incredibly powerful people because the same Holy Spirit that bust Jesus out of the tomb decided to come and live in your neighborhood. Not only are we significant and powerful people, we are a people of destiny. And that's where the problem begins. I'll explain why. You know, in this story of Joseph, you know, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, I'm sure you've seen seen, uh, the show or heard the music from that. You know, Joseph was in a process between, between receiving a revelation about his life and actually it coming to pass. Do you remember the story at the beginning of his life? There he is. He's the youngest of all the brothers. That means he's the one most likely to get a noogie. Yeah. 
And the truth is his dad gives him the overseer's coat, which means he's the one who's keeping an eye on all the older brothers. Can you imagine how that dynamic worked out? Well, it wasn't very good for him, particularly when he turned up one day and said, hey, I had this really cool dream last night. Like there was this sheaf of corn and it was mine. And there were these 12 other she- uh, 11 other sheaves of corn and they were yours and they bowed down to mine. You can just imagine the cocky 17-year-old Joseph, can't you? It was going to be 22 years before that dream, that revelation, that prophetic moment in his life actually came to be fulfilled. So what I want to say to us this morning is, in a context where we are saturated with dreams and destiny... How do we walk well the process between discovering our destiny and actually being released into it? How do we do that? I want to get kind of up close and personal for a moment and say this. I honestly believe, because I know we all have a Sunday face that says I'm great and everything's fine. um, But the reality is lots of us carry lots of stuff in our head and heart all the time. And I would bank the £4.35 that I have in my pocket um, that many of us here today maybe have felt frustrated at times because we have had destiny spoken over us. And we're just wondering, what on earth is God up to? Why am I still here feeling like a little person? Why haven't I seen this thing come to pass? What are you doing, God? Like, do I need to come and run HR for you? Because I don't think you're doing a very good job. And the truth is, it would be easy in that scenario to wallow in frustration. And frustration really is the seedbed of offense. An offense is the plant that flowers into a thing called bitterness. So, I thought it would be A good time to think about how we walk well in that period where we're hidden. Because that's Joseph's story. He got thrown down a pit in the floor and effectively became hidden to his family for the next 22 years. So here's the question. How do we cope with that delay? Well, I think there's good ways to cope with it, and I think there's bad ways to cope with it. I'll just highlight the bad ways. Um, The bad way to cope with delay goes a bit like this. Firstly, doubt the revelation that God has given you. You know, when Jesus went into the wilderness to be tested, there's that word again. The first thing the enemy said to him was, did God say... Are you really the Son of God? If, if, if you're the Son of God. Like he just cast all of this doubt over everything that Jesus' Father had just spoken over his life. It's the very first lie of the Bible, isn't it? Did God really say? And I guarantee that is the number one place he will always attack first. He will get you to doubt that that big book of prophetic words or all of those encouragements that people have given you over the years or those insights that they've seen about your gifting and your anointing, the enemy will go, really? You think? Nah. 
was just making that up. The second way that we can walk it out bad is by doubting God's faithfulness. I want to encourage you, keep the testimony. Whenever you have seen God do something good, keep it. It's no coincidence that in the Ark of the Covenant, the very box that was like the kind of Wi-Fi um, transmitter of God's presence on earth, in that box wasn't just the law, but there was actually the testimony of what God had done. In fact, if you look at the story of the Ark, many years later, that box no longer contains the testimony. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? They forgot to keep the testimony. And we're told, you know, that when Joshua, who was responsible for taking the whole people into the promised land, when he had died out, a whole generation grew up who neither knew God nor his ways. So I want to urge you, keep the testimony. You know, when um, Ad and I made the jump to hyperspace, as I lovingly call it, you know, when we left ministry and left everything in our old town and moved here, with like about two quid to rub together in our pockets, we needed 17 miracles to make that transition work. And God came through on every single one of them. So I wrote them down. And do you know what? Since then, every time we've needed God to do something, and he's done it, I've recorded it. Why? So when I'm facing something that seems complex or impossible or faith-sapping, I get my little piece of paper out of that book, and I open it up, and I go, look, he did this, he did that, he did that. Wow, he's amazing. So there are bad ways to walk out that delay, doubting that he's given you revelation and doubting that he'll be faithful to it. But there's good ways you can walk it out. There's some really important questions we can ask ourselves. First of all, am I in the right context? Maybe you haven't hit your zenith yet. Maybe your you know, prophetic word over you hasn't come to pass yet because you're not in the right context. I love the story of Moses. Moses sees a Jew, a fellow Jew, being beaten by an Egyptian guard. So he thinks, I'll sort this out. And he kills the guard. He was trying to deliver his people. But the truth is, he couldn't deliver them as an Egyptian. He was a prince in Pharaoh's house at that time. He could not do that. He actually had to go away and reconnect with the fact that he was a Hebrew. Come on. He didn't need to be some benevolent onlooker. He needed to feel like a Hebrew felt. And 40 years later, he rocked up. He didn't just free one guy from oppression. He freed the whole nation. So maybe you're just in the wrong context. That's a good question to ask. Am I in the right context? Secondly, am I in the right season? One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is Esther. She's one of the Jewish captives from Babylon who didn't go back to rebuild the temple. Like, if there was a door open and I could have gone home, I would have been straight through it. But she isn't. The whole nation is at risk because a guy called Haman, he doesn't like the Jews. And suddenly she finds herself in a beauty pageant to become queen. Like she'd lived her whole life 
And her uncle, being very wise and truly believing in the sovereignty of God, says, well, maybe, my girl, the very purpose that you were born is about to go click. And she won that beauty contest, and as a result of it, she had access to the king. And because of that access, she had the ability to actually thwart that attempt to kill the rest of her people. So maybe it's just not the right time. And all of those are legitimate reasons for delay, but I think there is probably a more common and more important reason that many of us are delayed. And it's this thing called the test. Until until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested Joseph. I'm not sure how I feel about these houses out here. I used to love looking out this window right up the fields that go into the distance. In one of those fields, there was a place where angels had this huge map spread out on the floor. And there was this big one kind of sending other ones on little missions. And I never saw it, but I could feel it. And so I used to, at day school, kind of hang over this side and just look out the window and try and connect with what was going on in the spirit. And I noticed one day these men came out with this little drilling machine and started drilling holes all over this rough ground. And in different places they'd put these little flags of different colours. Two years on, we got these houses. What was going on? Those flags were an indication of what those builders would be building on, what was unseen, what was beneath the surface. And sometimes the reason we haven't seen the fulfillment of what God has spoken over our lives is he's actually testing to show what is going to be built upon. Now don't get me wrong here, I'm not saying he doesn't know what he's building with. I'm saying he wants you to know what he's building with. Like he knows a thought before it's in our head and a word before it's on our tongue. He totally knows us inside out and outside in. But sometimes we need to understand what he is trying to build on. Does that make sense? The reality is tough times don't last, but tough people do. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see the Holy Spirit lead him into the wilderness to be tested. The Holy Spirit leads him. The devil doesn't lead him into the wilderness to test him. The Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness, the hidden place, to test him. So, the truth is this. Do you want to attempt great exploits for the king? It's not rhetorical. You can say, yes, hello, it's wonderful. I want to say this. If we want to build something lasting, there will be a time of spiritual testing. And the testing normally takes this form. God gives you a little bit to see how you do. You know the story in Matthew 25, 23? Jesus says this. The master says to the guy, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little I will now set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. I want to tell you this, folks. It is to God's joy that we are released to bigger things. 
please don't buy into the lie that God enjoys keeping us little and squashed and small. Seriously, he does not want us all as hobbits for the kingdom. (laughs) Halflings. That's not his heart at all. But what he does, he tests us in the small so we know he can trust us with the big. Now here's the interesting thing. The word test that's used in the Bible is a double entendre. has two meanings. And both the Hebrew word in the Old Testament and the Greek word in the New Testament that are used for test also mean temptation. That says something to me. It says there's always two agencies at work. You know, a test is where God turns up the heat in order to separate the gold from the dross. But a temptation is where the devil lays it on thick in order to separate the dross from the gold and then focus on it so you are destroyed. The devil wants you to fail the temptation. God wants you to pass the test and prove what he's put in you already. Here's the thing. Because the word for test and temptation is the same, I believe this. They are always found in the same circumstance. There aren't certain things that happen that are tests from God and certain things that happen that are temptations from the enemy. I believe there's just a circumstance. And there's these two players. And one of them saying, son, daughter, I'm, I'm putting this thing as an opportunity before you to show you what I've built into you. So you can prove this is what God's done in me. And then there's another little voice, and it is much littler. It's got a megaphone, though. And it goes, I want you to fail this. I want you to fail this so you feel cruddy and rotten and full of shame. And you walk off the playing field and never score that goal that you were destined to shoot. Do you understand that? There's these two agencies at work. So why, why is the test so important? I want you to think about Joseph's life for a moment. Here's this kid. He's 17. If any of you have got teenagers, that probably won't be hard to imagine. He's 17. Maybe he's still grunting a bit. Maybe he's still learning the rudimentary elements of personal hygiene. And suddenly God is about to flood his life with astonishing new abilities in the supernatural. Visions, dreams, interpretations, divine wisdom, Holy Spirit authority. Who can be trusted by God with such a gifting? Not only that, he's going to have astonishing opportunities in high places. He's going to stand in the palace of the most powerful man on planet earth at that time, Pharaoh. He's actually being prepared for promotion. He's going to have a high position as far as the world is concerned. Actually, as far as the church, and by the church at this time I mean his family, because his family is all the church there is. Think about it. In terms of fame, he's the one who's going to be dividing out This amazing collection of seed that's been collected over seven great years of harvest to the people of the world. He's going to have authority over millions of people's lives. 
Who can be trusted by God with such a position? Not only that, he's going to have astonishing influence to break the racial snobbery of his own family. Because the Hebrews pretty much kept to themselves because they had all of these rules and guidelines and thou shalt and thou shalt not and all of that. And it meant they tended to keep themselves to themselves because the rest of the world, well, they're all Gentile scumbags. And that's really where it's going to end up. Let's be honest. And he breaks them out of that racial snobbery and the nations are going to bring their needs to his feet. Who can be trusted by God with such power and influence? He's going to have this astonishing influence over the church, as she was at that time. He's going to save his family for God's future for them. He's going to save her for a future in the promised land, where they're going to multiply and prosper and become a light to the nations. Who can be trusted with such a ministry? All of that is bearing down on this 17-year-old kid. Who probably, if they had an iPad then, would have spent most of his time on YouTube. Just being honest. I don't believe anyone in the Bible is born a hero. I think they're made heroes. Who can be trusted with that power and influence, with that ministry, with that position, with that gifting? I believe only those who've been tested and have proved what God has already built into them. Now there's this quote I have in, I've, I've got a book of little quotes, like I've written it myself, like things that have just really stood out as I've read over the years. And there's this quote by a guy called E.M. Bounds. And he was a pastor during the American Civil War. But I tell you what, he could have written this quote today. It is so pertinent. And it says this, We are constantly at a stretch, if not a strain, to devise new methods, new plans and new organization to advance the church and secure enlargement and efficiency for the gospel. The trend of the day has a tendency to lose sight of the man or to sink the man in the plan and the organization. But God's plan is to make much of the man. To make much of the man far more than anything else because men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods, but God's looking for better men. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through people. He doesn't come upon machinery, but people. He does not anoint plans. He anoints people. When I first read that, it tore me to pieces because I just remembered all the programs and Stuff we had planned as a church to kind of do good exploits rather than just throwing ourselves into God and his presence. So there will be a test, folks. And unfortunately, it's going to take time. Here's my one great revelation from doing this this study. I do not believe it serves the purposes of the king and his kingdom for God to raise small people. See, where you have a church context where we're all faceless little cogs in a big religious machine and the platform is only so big, there's only so much room. But when you realize the heart and the king of his kingdom is to impact planet Earth with the reality of heaven, 
I want to tell you, there is enough room for every single one of us to fly. I don't care what you do in your life. If you design clothes for a living, be the best fashion designer there has ever been on planet Earth. Then let everything you create point to the amazing king in his kingdom. You know, if you're a cleaner, I want to say to you, why aren't you running a cleaning business? Why are you working for someone else? Why don't you create the best cleaning business that has ever existed on planet Earth that knows the job is not just to clean the bits that people see, but also to clean the bits they don't see? Because that's the heart of kingdom transformation. See, the religious rulers of Jesus' day, they cleaned the bits that people could see. He called them whitewashed tombs. Why? Because inside, the bit that people couldn't see was rotten. You could do that as a cleaner. You could proclaim the gospel by having the greatest cleaning business on earth. I, I, I could go on with loads of examples, but you get the heart of what I'm saying. I love the fact that part of my tent-making ministry, you know, how I kind of survive in life, is decorating people's houses. I'm a bit OCD about it. Why? Because when I leave, I want to know that their house has never looked so good. Because I believe that's the heart of the kingdom. God rocks up. He takes something that's worn out and run down and he breathes life into it in a way that it just glows and sparkles. That's the testimony of my life. That's the testimony of our lives. It it does not serve the purposes of the kingdom for him to have small people. You know, Jesus said a city on a hill cannot be hidden. He wants you to be a city on a hill. That stands out and is resplendent and shouts and speaks of the glory of God. That's going to take a bit of time. He, his word says that we are oaks of righteousness. Not saplings of religiosity. We're told that we are partakers of the divine nature. Moses said, we are the head, not the tail. The Apostle Paul talks about us being God's workmanship. And the Greek word there is poema. It's where we get our word poem from. It literally means we are God's work of art. And I want to say to us, encourage us with this, the Father's not satisfied with an unfinished symphony. He's jealous for the finished product. Something big and bold. That proclaims his glory, his goodness, his majesty, and his transformational power on this earth. And I want to say, if he wants us all to be that big, I would say that implies a process that takes time. See, the word test that's used here, it also has another meaning. It means to refine. If you've ever seen any of those sort of little film clips about people working with silver or gold, and they have a little furnace, and they have a crucible that they put the gold or the silver in, and they blast it with intense heat until it liquefies. And what happens is, all the dross, the impurities in that metal, floats to the top and they scrape it off. Do you know what they do next? They do it again. They blast it, the impurities rise to the surface, they scrape it off. Do you know what they do next? They do it again. And they do it again. And they do it, guess what? Again. 
Malachi 3 tells us how God is like a refiner who sits and refines. I had a friend in India once, I think I might have said this before, and he actually went to see some people refining silver. And once they'd given the demonstration, he was about to walk off, and the guy said to him who was refining, you haven't asked why I sit here. He goes, why do you sit there? He goes, I sit here doing this repeatedly until I can see my face in the precious metal. It's a process that takes time. The problem is, because we're humans, we're kind of pain-averse. We don't like pain, do we? You know? If I said, who wants to come up here so I can stamp on their toe? Any volunteers? Now you see, you're sensible. We're, we're actually pain-averse. But because of that, many of us will actually reject the refining that is going to position us for great things. I once heard a, a guy, um, a guy called David Carr. He's a free Methodist. He's a crazy kingdom charismatic. And he's a bishop in the free Methodist church. And he moves in incredible power and gifts. And he regularly gets people saying, can you pray for me so I can have some of your anointing? He goes, you can have my anointing, but I promise you, you don't want the history that gave me that anointing. It's a process that takes time. And I really believe this. The reality is we are not waiting for our destiny, folks. I think our destiny is waiting us to truly step into all that God has placed inside of us and the challenge I believe for all of us is to take up arms against any of the kind of baggage and rubbish that stops the best version of us coming to the fore Martin Lloyd-Jones once sent to R.T. Kendall who was his sidekick at the time he was his kind of prince in waiting he said to him you know the worst thing that can happen to a person is that they're ready. But they're not ready. That they, that they have success before they're actually ready to handle that success. That they kind of think they've got it all, but actually inside they haven't got the foundation to cope with the pressure that's going to bring. So here's the thing regarding time. If you're the kind of person who falls apart in a bus queue, or the checkout at Christmas, um, or waiting for your fast food to be cooked, or even for a web page to load. <laughs> Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe we need to work with the time issue. Because here's the thing, you see, there's no overnight successes with the Lord. And even if there were, the word of the Lord says a day with the Lord is like a thousand years, so an overnight success is still going to be a pretty long time. So what does an overnight success look like? Joseph, 22 years from receiving a dream to the time when his brothers stood before him and their harvest actually was bowing down to his because he was the one with food. And they were the ones without. Moses, 40 years from murderer to deliverer. David, 20 years from anointing to crowning. Paul, 14 years from the Damascus Road to being released into apostolic ministry. 
See, the falsehood we can buy into is it's all about gifting. But here's the truth. The word gift, charismatic gift, comes from the word charis, grace. You get your gifts because you don't deserve them. You just get them because God's really, really good. And so we can kind of come out all tooled up with this stuff and think, hey, hey, I have the gifts. I'm ready. But the truth is, have we got the character to wield that gifting in increasing measures, in increasing position, in increasing power, in increasing influence, in increasing ministry? You know, Jesus had all the, mini- uh, all the gifting necessary at 12. He rocks up in Jerusalem for one of the festivals. His parents go home. They've forgotten that he's not with them. Can you imagine losing the Messiah? It's bad enough losing your car keys or your mobile, but ah, I've lost the Messiah. And where is he? He's in the temple and he's tying the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees in little knots. He absolutely slam dunks them. If biblical debate was like WWF, he would have tombstones them, you know. (laughs) Like they are rolling on the floor like. And God sends him home for another 18 years to work at a woodworking bench. The truth is, we want to train for three years to do 30 years ministry. The reality is he trained for 30 years to do three years ministry. So how do we survive the delay? It's by hanging on these truths. In his good time, he will reveal me. I'm here by his appointment. I'm in his keeping. I'm under his training. And when his time has come, my time has come. And that's Joseph's story. From pit to slave, from slave to running a household, from running a household to being in prison, from being in prison to being a prison governor. Have you ever looked at his story that way? He became the Paul Manwaring of his day. He ran a prison for God. Can you imagine the privilege that is? But we go, poor guy, he's in prison, trumped up rape charge, this is terrible. No, no, can you see what God's doing? He's stretching him, he's run a household. God's now given him a prison. Why? Because in two years' time, when Pharaoh needs somebody to govern the nation, he actually needs someone with experience and who's been tested in the hard and dark place who hasn't crumbled I'll add a whole list of the tests I haven't got time to go through them but words like jealousy and betrayal bodily appetites the underground dungeon trying to create your own plan B for escape unforgotten deeds of those who've hurt you I mean, the list could just go on and on and on if you read the story of any biblical hero. God wants us to be big people, folks. This may not sound like an apostolic talk, but God wants heaven on earth. And that means he needs to form us and shape us so when we rock up, we look like heaven. Not we just carry heaven, but we look like heaven. 
And that sometimes is a painful process. But I want to say to you, you can do more in a minute when you are ready for it than you could do in a lifetime when you're not ready for it. So I want to encourage us all to embrace the process. To not lose heart. To not be frustrated when it's someone else who's flying high and we feel our day hasn't come yet. But just to shrink back a little into our space with him. And go, okay God, what are we working on? What are you building in me? Because you know, every time we're convicted of something, it's not to destroy us. It's actually to show us the next place that God is going to do a miracle. I want to leave it there because we, we're done. I think it's almost time. Can we stand and pray? God, I just want to thank you so much for the, the story and the testimonies of people like Joseph. We cannot even imagine what some of those downturns in his life felt like. But actually, you knew what you were doing. That you turned every one of those moments, as he says, to good. Even though they were originally meant to harm him, you used them for good. To position him in a place that was going to protect and promote the church. So that the very family line that was going to give birth to you, Lord, could come to be. God, we want to be people like that who don't shrink away from the hidden place but understand with all godly wisdom that you are preparing us to be giants in a world that needs people who look like and carry heaven. So God, give us patience, give us wisdom, give us understanding what you are doing with us on those days when we feel hidden. On those days when we feel locked in the dungeon and we think everyone has forgotten about us, including you. And just restore to us those hopes and those dreams of where you want to take us, what you want to do with us, and how you want to use us to impact this planet with the knowledge of your glory and your goodness. We just ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.